Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I know many of you have been able to attend our summer series uh, on The Chosen on Wednesday nights this summer, and and many more of you are, are watching that series on your own as well. Now, this is the first time that I've been able to see the series, but one of the things that I've appreciated as we've been watching them is how realistic they make these well-known moments from the Bible. And it's not that I didn't know that these events from the Bible, that these were reporting true events. I believe that firmly, of course. Everything we read in Scripture is, is real and true and accurate. We can be certain that all of Scripture is breathed out by God and inspired by the Holy Spirit and recorded accurately by eyewitnesses who were there. But the Chosen series has been yet another reminder to me that, that all of these biblical accounts, these are real people in real-life situations. And with that in mind, I couldn't help but imagine as uh, the scene that we hear about in our gospel reading today. And and Matthew starts off by telling us that that Jesus and his disciples were arriving in the district of Caesarea Philippi. Now, this is geographically pretty far north in, in northern Galilee, actually about as far north as you can get while still being in Israel. And in fact, Caesarea Philippi, which goes by a different name to this day, uh, to this day, it's still home, though, to, to the headwaters of the Jordan River. And so the water flows out of this giant rock face at Mount Hermon, out of a, a cave at the base of the mountain. It's a beautiful scene. And because of the geographic and geologic uniqueness of this location, for centuries, even before Jesus, this had been the spot of, of many pagan altars and worship practices. First, it was for the gods of the, the Canaanites, the people who were in the promised land before the Israelites. And then after Alexander the Great came through, there was a temple set up to Pan, the Greek god of, of shepherds and music and nature. What's more, Caesarea Philippi, back in Jesus' day, was the administrative capital of one of Herod the Great's sons. That's Philip. And so Herod and Philip, they had built a temple honoring the the great emperor, the great Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus. And so hence the name Caesarea Philippi. So although scripture doesn't say this specifically, you can just begin to imagine the scene and what it would have been like when Jesus and his disciples were walking through the city with this great rock monolith with pagan deities and pagan sacrifices on one side. And on the other side, the the white marble temple dedicated to the Roman Caesar Augustus. Confessions of gods and emperors were going on all around them. And it was here then, with all this as the backdrop, that Jesus turns to his disciples and asks them about another confession, specifically the confession about him. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? So the disciples give a pretty good report. Some are saying John the Baptist. Others are saying a reincarnated reincarnated prophet like Elijah or Jeremiah. And indeed, the disciples' answers probably reflected the most common things that they were hearing from the people on the streets all the way up to the people at the top, like Herod Antipas, who was terrified that Jesus was John the Baptist reincarnated, come back from the dead. But Jesus' questions didn't stop there because now Jesus wanted to hear from the disciples themselves. 
Who do you say that I am? And in a glorious moment for Simon Peter, who who found his foot in his mouth more often than not, this time Simon actually gives the perfect answer. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. In other words, Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the one for whom our people have been waiting for so long. And you are here now and we know it is you. And what's more, you are the son of the living God. You are the son of the almighty predicted by the prophets. You are the one who has come to save us. This is a good answer. This is a good confession Amidst the backdrop of gods and emperors, amidst all the religious and political activities of the world around them, amidst all the possible confessions that they could have made, Simon confesses well. Now, this didn't come from his own imagination. Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Our faith in Jesus comes not from ourselves, from our own intelligence or wisdom. No, faith comes only from God as a free gift. We in sin would be opposed to God and his ways, but by the working of the Holy Spirit in us, we are given to know and to trust and to confess the most important confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then at this moment in their conversation, I wonder if Jesus glanced up at the mountain of rock dedicated to Pan or up at the temple with the the noble stones of the temple dedicated to Caesar before he went on to say the following to Simon. And I tell you, you are Peter, Petros, whose name means rock. And on this rock, Petra, this confession you have just made about me, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now Jesus went on to charge his disciples not to share with others yet that he was the Christ, because his time was not yet ready. They needed to see and understand what this confession meant, particularly what it meant with his death and resurrection and ascension. Because just in a few verses in Matthew's gospel, what we'll hear actually next week, Simon is going to demonstrate just how wrong, just how incomplete his understanding of what it meant that Jesus was the Christ as he tries to stop Jesus from going to Jerusalem to accomplish all he needed to accomplish. And in turn, Jesus will call Simon Satan, his adversary. But for this week, we'll let Simon have his moment because he did make the good confession about Jesus. And it will be the thing upon which Jesus builds his church, his church to which Jesus gives the keys of the kingdom of heaven, where sins are authoritatively bound and loose, where the gospel is proclaimed, the Savior comes to create new life. Simon's confession is the most important answer to the most important question ever to be asked. And it still is to this day. After all, even though we live in a different place and time, things aren't all that different, are they? We are still surrounded by giant monoliths that have been built up by religions and culture and society and politics. 
We are told uh, these days that you can believe anything you want, any truth you want to, and the only absolute truth is that there is no absolute truth. Or people today worship all kinds of gods that we have made in our hearts for ourselves, things in which we place our ultimate fear, love, and trust. Or today people bow their knees to all kinds of emperors, all kinds of leaders or humans or human inventions or institutions to which we give all glory, honor, and worship. And with all this as our backdrop today, our world also comes up with all sorts of answers to the question, who is Jesus? Some say he was just a prophet, as the Muslims say. Oh, that he was an important man verging on divine status, just like the Jehovah's Witnesses say. Or that he was a loving, kind person who demonstrated that life is, is really all about acceptance and tolerance and love, like the progressive Christians say. Or that he was just a good teacher, like most of the unbelieving world says. But you see, our confession of Jesus doesn't stop where the world's confessions stops. Because just like with the disciples, Jesus now wants to hear from you. But who do you say that I am? As Christians in a world filled with all kinds of answers about Jesus, we are called to cut through the noise with a bold and simple and clear confession of who Jesus is. A confession that we didn't come up with, a confession that the church didn't invent over centuries of thinking really hard about it or something like that. No, a confession that has existed ever since that day in Caesarea Philippi. A confession that can only come from one place and one place only, from our Father who is in heaven. A confession that says that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the one who saves us from our sins. And that he is also the second person of our triune God, the eternal Son of God, who is not dead now, nor is he old-fashioned, but rather he is alive right here and right now. And do you know why that confession can't come from flesh and blood, but it must come from our Father who is in heaven? Because not only are we, again, opposed to God and his ways in our sinful nature and can't come to confess Jesus except through him, but when you stop to think about it, that confession of Jesus that Peter shared, it has such far-reaching implications for our lives in the present as well as in eternity. Because it changes everything about our lives right now and our lives in eternity. Because if that confession about Jesus is true, and it is, then a world that largely rejects Jesus as the eternal Son of God cannot accept it. Because if they were to accept it, then everything in their lives would be forced to change. Everything from the way that they see themselves, to the way that they see this world, to the way that they see God. You see, this confession must come and can only come by faith. Because once it has, it changes everything about your life. You have been made children of God. You have been made followers of Jesus. He has taken hold of you and your life. And now he stands at the center of everything. 
We heard the the character of Mary Magdalene uh, in our chosen episode this past Wednesday when she was having a, a, a brief conversation with Nicodemus. And she said, I follow Jesus, not the other way around. You see, to confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, means that we are the ones following where he leads. And we can't be half in, half out, just sitting on the fence about it all. No, we recognize that Jesus has laid claim to our lives just as he has laid claim to all of creation. The problem, of course is that we don't always live like that is true. We don't always confess Jesus like this, like we ought to. And sometimes we don't even confess Jesus at all. In fact, there are people who interact with us during the week, I'm sure. I'm sure it's true with me and with you. That they walk away from, from their time spent with us and they may not even know that we would dare to make a, con- a confession like that. Because we've given them no indication by how we think or what we say or what we do that we would, that we would confess Jesus like that. We so often allow ourselves to, to sink back into the backdrop of this world, blending in with all the other confessions out there. That we are not only in the world, but also we act like we are of the world. We so often are like Simon Peter, who fails so miserably. Like I said, not two verses later in Matthew's gospel, he is going to try to stop Jesus from accomplishing all that Jesus came to do with his mission of salvation, which was to die for our sins and rise again to new life. And so like Simon, we can know all the right answers But when the rubber meets the road, we find that we have failed time and time again. And that's not good. The world needs to hear a faithful confession about Jesus. Our neighbors, whoever it is that God has placed in our lives, whoever they might be, they need to hear our confession about Jesus. We are called to love and serve our neighbors, and there is no greater love or service that we can provide them than to tell them of who Jesus is. So what do we do about this? More importantly, what does Jesus do about this? Well, again, Simon and the rest of the disciples, for that matter, they fail in this regard, and not just once, but many times as Jesus brings them along. And so we ought to pay attention to how Jesus handles his disciples. Yes, Simon is going to be rebuked pretty fiercely by Jesus. But we take note that Simon is not rejected by Jesus. Although Simon tries to stop Jesus from going to Jerusalem and dying for our sins and rising again for our eternal life, Jesus does not allow Simon or anyone else for that matter to stop him from doing what he knows must be done. In fact, it's no coincidence that he tells his disciples, as we heard in our gospel reading, that it is he, not them, who is the builder of his church. We are called to confess. Yes, we are called to confess Jesus to this world. We need to confess Jesus to this world. But we are not the ones who build Jesus's church. Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
And so we can be certain that despite all of our failures and shortcomings, despite all of our sins, despite all of our weak confessions, Jesus is still graciously building up his church, his people, building us up through his blood shed on the cross and his resurrected life. The Holy Spirit is still creating and sustaining our faith through word and sacrament. He is still forgiving our sins. He is still delivering to us eternal life. Despite all of our sins and failures, he assures us that the miracle of salvation is still occurring. And so as we once again receive Jesus' forgiveness, we are called to be forgiven sinners, to go out and make a faithful confession to the world. And it will not be easy. It will not necessarily make us a lot of friends. In fact, it may even make us a few enemies. Things don't always make sense to our own reason or logic. But to confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior, And that he is the son of the living God is an amazing and merciful and gracious message to be able to share with others. And on this day, this day that we have been praying for and blessing our students who are going back to school. And after the sermon, we're also going to do the same with with teachers and faculty and staff. It's right for us to recognize that that they, students and teachers and faculty and staff, They are in many ways the ones on the front lines of this struggle. If you think of the backdrop of education these days, with all the plurality of confessions you're going to find in our public schools, it is a microcosm of our world in general that a simple and clear and bold confession of Jesus is going to stand out more than maybe any other time in American history. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to be the one who is confessing in public. It's it's a good thing. In fact, it's necessary because they need to hear our confession. But we as the church need to be praying for our students and teachers, not just today, but throughout the entire year. And parents and grandparents of, of these students take this seriously. Your children, your grandchildren are on the front lines. And and you don't send a soldier into battle without supply lines and without artillery support. We as the church and you specifically as parents and grandparents need to ensure that your children are well supplied and well prepared to make their confession. You need to be in church with them regularly, receiving what the Lord provides for free through his means of grace. You need to be in the word as a family at home as we are in the word together as a church. Because remember, Jesus will give us what we need because he is the one who does the building. And because he does the building, the gates of hell cannot prevail against him, nor against his word, nor against you, his church. All of us, no matter where God may be calling us, No matter what front lines we may be occupying, we all can make a faithful confession of Jesus. Not with our own strength, not with our own wisdom or intelligence, but with the gift of faith that's been given to each of us through our Father in heaven. We can all make a faithful confession because we have all been given a Savior who stopped at nothing 
to save us from our sins and by his death and resurrection has given us the the keys to eternal life with him. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.